Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. New report in the Boston Globe from Alex Spire. According to multiple major league sources, the Red Sox are weighing potential combinations of big leader, big leaguers and prospects offered by the Dodgers and Padres in a trade for Mookie Betts. Alex, the Dodgers are going to get Mookie Betts and Francisco Lindor, and that is going to checkmate you into having to move to Los Angeles. I'm so happy. They're still going to be eliminated in like the uh, NLCS. <laughs> While Clayton, Clayton Kershaw is still going to have a 4-5 ERA. I don't know what to tell you. Can I get it on the record if they get Mookie Betts and Francisco Lindor on the same team as like Cody Bellinger and Justin Turner and Clayton Kershaw and uh, who else is on the Dodgers? I haven't watched a baseball game in a long time. I don't know. Walker Co- Bueller. Corey Seager becomes your like backup shortstop. Corey like, Seager's fuck? bad. This has been my take for a while now. He's bad. He was on my fantasy team last year and I hate he's him. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. He's a good player. Can I get it on the record now? If all of those players are on the Dodgers next year, that you will move to Los Angeles? No, but God I will move it. to the Bay Area and frequently come down to to visit you. I don't think I can sell my soul quite yet. I just ignored the part of the report that's that the Padres are in on this trade because I don't want to live in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I what a stunning time to be alive, honestly. Like yeah. the Padres talking about being in on bets or being in on Arenado or whatever the fuck. Like I, I can't even wrap my head around this. Are the Padres going to be good? What don't I know about the Padres ownership? Like, do they have way more money than all of the other teams that are in smaller baseball markets? Yeah, where the Padres the, where does this just come from? Yeah. They're, they're just spending hundreds of millions of dollars every off season. And no one is talking about where this money is coming from. They're like the living embodiment of the fact that every MLB team could spend this money if they just decided they wanted to. Yeah. It's wild. They're yeah, spending the more money be- than like the New York teams. <laughs> I that's that's what I was thinking is like they are effectively the are they the new Yankees? Are they the Yankees West? <laughs> like <laughs> that's the title of the pod. Are the Padres the new Yankees? <laughs> uh, it's a slow week in baseball. Uh, We're going to make up a couple fun segments, as we do. Uh, But before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. So, Alex, I saw the news that the Colorado Rockies had bought out the last two years of Trevor Story's arbitration years for $27 million for two years. And it got me thinking... You know, in light of the fact that Nolan Arenado is on their team and it's been heavily rumored that they're going to trade him um, because they don't want to pay for his long extension that they just signed him to last offseason. And he's not happy because they can't contend. Um, it got me thinking about how you and I are frequently asking baseball to be a little bit more like basketball in terms of how it treats its players and their outsized importance in the game and um, its resonance with the, with just, I think, pop culture. And I I thought back to the last year of producing a basketball podcast, talking about how the NBA is going. And there's been a lot going over there. (laughs) There's been a lot of very fraught conversation about this idea of player movement, right? And player freedom and the branding of players. It's this idea that once players become their own big brand, they just decide where they want to play. And it's caused a lot of, I think, fear-mongering among, among media and among some fan bases about the idea that players just switch teams every two years or three years or four years or whatever. And a, and a guy who's a superstar who typically would have played his career in the past with one or two teams is now playing his career with three or four or five teams. And they never stay long enough for a fan base to develop a true connection that you've seen 
in the glory days of the game in the past, like Larry Bird playing his entire career with the Celtics or, you know, uh, Reggie Miller playing his entire career with the Pacers, that kind of thing. And I think that a lot of that conversation is bullshit and a lot of it is bad natured. But I do think it raises an interesting question as we ask baseball to transition into being the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) I think it raises an interesting question about what do we really want when we say that we want like more balanced labor and the Rockies are an interesting example. Like we want play, you and I want players to get paid as much as possible because that means that the owners are taking less of the revenue. This is a binary. It's either the players are getting it or the owners are getting it. Unfortunately, it can't just funnel back to the fans and we can't watch uh, yeah, the game. No, for free. I, I, w- I want a universal baseball income. That's my platform for 2020. Just a thousand dollars every time I walk into the ballpark. Yes. Every time you show up, they just hand you a check. <laughs> That's the real UBI we need. <laughs> I can see like Ben Shapiro hearing this segment and being like, this is the world that baseball, this is the world that tipping pitches wants. <laughs> every fan gets a thousand dollars. Is this going to fix the problems? God. Um, but no. So right now, in its current structure, it's a binary, and either the either the owners get it or the players get it. So we want the players to get as much of it as possible. But I think you and I both agree that it would be unfortunate if that meant that teams that decide artificially that they want to spend less just don't get to keep good players because that really only hurts the fans. And you, as someone who's an A's fan, you've experienced this a lot. Where you develop, no, I, have no, I have no idea what you're talking about. We're we're known for holding on to our players. Matt Chapman, I hear, is definitely not going to hit free agency. I think, given that he's a Boris client, I think he's going to give us a hometown discount. Yes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Boris clients have never held out for the most money possible. No, not at all. Yeah, and that's why we kept Josh Donaldson. But I think. It's hard to balance all of these ideas in our head, right? It's very hard for me to think of a straight and narrow path through all of this bullshit that leads to, one, players getting as much money as they can possibly get. Two, guys not switching teams every offseason because I don't want to lose my favorite players. And three, small market, small, quote-unquote small market teams getting to keep the fun young players that draw fans to the ballpark. So, like, what is the actual silver bullet solution to all of that? I realize it's a very large question to leave on your plate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but do you worry about this? Because I worry about it a lot. I don't think I worry about it as much as some other people. I. It's obviously a clear... I mean, it used to be incredibly common for a player to stick with their team their entire career. And I think a, a big part of that is teams basically buying into that idea of like, you know, the the star power of having like Carl Yastrzemski on your team or Cal Ripken Jr. on your team the entire career, right? And as teams become more analytically minded, it's like, you're we don't want to be paying you you know, tens of millions of dollars in your mid to late thirties. Cause that's not going to do jack shit for us. Like it's not going to put as many seats in the, it's not going to put as many butts in the seats as it would be if we just like held on to this money in the first place. Um, I think that basketball is an interesting basketball is an interesting environment in part, I think because of the salary cap in that it, it almost gives players a little more, power i think and it lets them drive the narrative a little more because you know if you're lebron you know that you know these three or four or five teams whatever are going to throw as much money as at you as they can right and so it's basically up to you to just be like where do i want to go and yeah there's no collusion possible right because there's an exact number that he is going to get and has to get and if he doesn't get it a lot of red flags are going to be raised Yes, exactly. Um, and yeah, in in baseball, yeah, like you were saying, like there's the opportunity. You are kind of at the whim of the of the market, right? Like, however the market is doing, and especially if you're like a mid tier player, you know, you're a Mike Mustakis, you're a Yasmani Grandal. Um, do I think that it's a problem per se? No, but I think it's a 
it's a problem when teams don't um, counter, like letting their stars walk away with bringing in other people to replace them, right? Because if it's a one-sided relationship where it's like, it's very clear that the owners just don't want to pay players money and you're not actually doing anything to like put a winning ball club on the field. You just want to, you know, use up Arenado's six years, Chapman's six RB years, and then let him walk. Like, I think fans definitely start to feel betrayed by that. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, the Padres are, are an example of a team who's like willing to put that investment in, you know, and like showing to their fans and saying, "Hey, look, these other play, these other teams don't want their star players." <laughs> fuck it, we'll take them, right? Like, yeah. why not? And as a Padres fan, I'd feel very good about that. I would feel very happy that my owners, my GM, was actually willing to, like, I don't know, try? Yeah. I'm not sure what the real solution to, like, getting the owners to want to try more is. You know, like, is it raising the salary floor to be higher than it is now and then thus forcing the owners to say, you have to, you have to raise this, you have to pay players this much and it makes way more sense for you to just pay the stars that you already have this much. And that way, it then creates a cycle where fans anticipate that you're going to keep the stars that you already have because you have to spend this money anyway. And why not spend it on the sure thing in a guy like Arenado who's already in your market and who your your fans already have a relationship with? But it seems like time and time again, ownership and management changes course halfway through. And even if they intended to even if they intended to spend the money to keep the players like the Padres or the Rockies last offseason when they inked Arenado to this contract, they just changed their mind halfway through. Because if they pay it for a couple years, that's only so much money coming out of their pocket. But if they pay it for the full extent of the contract, then the owners start to be like, wait, I'm not making as much money as I did five years ago. So what like what do we do about that? <laughs> What do we do about that? Yeah, I don't... I mean, in theory, in a perfect world, like, stars bouncing around from team to team isn't the isn't the worst thing in the world if a majority of the teams in the league are competitive. Because, you know, maybe you lose your star third baseman and you end up with a star center fielder instead, right? Or you have managed to um, build this young core of players and you can afford to lose your star or something like that. Um, but I I don't think that teams operate from that sort of like good faith perspective, you know? Like it's all just calculated, like trying to cut costs wherever you can. And no no package of prospects is going to make up for losing Nolan Arenado. It's just, it's not going to happen. There's like a one in a million chance that you'll get someone back who's anywhere close to what Arenado is actually going to provide you like today and tomorrow and the next day, you know? So how do we get teams to just like be more competitive and want to keep their stars or want to trade for stars? Like I have no clue. But so if the idea is that star switch teams, right? So let's say that it ends up being like it is in basketball. One, I think that the baseball media is even less equipped to have this conversation than the basketball media is, right? Like I think there's a lot of smart basketball writers on the internet and on podcasts and writing even columns in newspapers who are like, who gives a shit? Like the players are human beings and they can switch jobs just like you reading this column or you listening to this podcast could switch jobs if it suits you and your family, right? Like that's what we should allow players to have. That's the opportunity we should allow players to have. I think a lot of NBA writers have done a good job at that. I think a lot of MLB writers would be worse at that, you know? Like I can't imagine Phil Mushnick being okay with Derek Jeter wanting to move to LA halfway through his career. <laughs> that that would not have gone well. Yeah, but, and yeah, there there are a lot of conversations that end up have it happening around like this idea of loyalty. You exactly. know, you need to be loyal to your team, and it's like, no, this is an employer, just like everything else. If you get a job offer somewhere else that's better, you you take it. But if 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 we know anything about baseball discourse, we know that the worst possible option is going to be the one that plays out, right? Because that's that's the that's what we've observed over the last 
our last, you and I's last two and a half years of doing this podcast is that the worst version of every public discourse always comes to the forefront. And I'd be curious to see how the baseball fandom would would take something like this, would take player movement, would take player freedom and and them switching teams or them deciding that they want to go play with guys that they like or them creating a super team with the Dodgers or something like that. Or, you know, if if say that you had the decision and the Marlins were suddenly had like seven young superstars in one offseason, it raises these interesting ideas about what fandom is. And baseball fandom is so entrenched and so localized that you're right. This idea of loyalty remains king. It holds the most capital in baseball fandom because I don't know how we can really like have a sea change in terms of how fans think about it. Like as soon as somebody leaves their team, most fans are like done. They're done with that dude. And when that dude comes back, right? Like they'll get a standing ovation and everything like that, but they won't be a fan of that guy anymore. And I think in basketball, you have, you at least have a generation of fans who are like, I don't care. I'm a fan of Kyrie Irving or I don't care. I'm a fan of LeBron James. I'm a fan of Dwayne Wade. I don't care where they're playing. I'm going to continue to root for them. I, I might live in Philly and I might watch the Sixers, but I'm going to watch the Lakers also because I just like LeBron personally. And just baseball fans don't watch baseball like that because there's so much baseball. There's 162 baseball games. If you want to watch all of, if you're a loyal fan and you want to watch all of your team's games, you're not just going to watch because, you know, Francisco Lindor now plays for the Dodgers. You're not going to watch 40 Dodgers games. And I think that that cuts against what you and I want in that we want stars and we want these big personalities to be the outsized faces of the game. We're, we're opening ourselves up to fans continuing to be like, well, I'm just going to hone, f- I'm going to go further back in my foxhole and just watch the Cardinals or whatever. Yeah, although I think where baseball differs from basketball is like, even if, you know, Francisco Lindor gets traded to the Dodgers, if you turn on a Dodgers game, it's not going to be the Francisco Lindor game, you know, just because of the way that like, like stars don't control like individual games in the way that basketball does, right? It's just like the nature of the way that the games are set up you don't you're not going to see francisco lindor for you know 80 to 90 percent of the game yeah Yeah. you're gonna you're gonna see like a few at bats and a few plays at shortstop and and you're right like fandom is so localized i think that that's maybe why it feels like less of a problem to me like if you're an orioles fan and machado gets traded to the dodgers or signs with the padres like you're going to root for him, but it's, I feel like it's more like out of sight, out of mind. Like you, you might want him to do well, but you just won't necessarily pay attention to Manny Machado anymore. And like, I don't know, is that, is that a bad thing? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I kind of think it is though. Like it's sad. It's maybe not a bad thing, but it's sad. It's sad that like superstars leave your life in a way that it doesn't necessarily happen in other sports. I don't know what it is about baseball, but they just don't gamify superstars in that way. Like, you have a guy, and he's your guy. He's on your team. What David Wright means to me. But David Wright doesn't really mean shit to, like, a Mariners fan. I'm sure they like him, and I'm sure that they think that he's a stand-up guy, and I'm sure they understand how good he was in his prime and everything. But, like, that is my dude. Like, I would jump in front of a bus for that dude. And it just doesn't, it doesn't translate to other fan bases. And I think that that's kind of a problem. Do you think that it translates to other fan bases in basketball? Yeah, because like if, you, if you're, if you're a, but like how much of that is once again, just because like the stars of the game are so visible in everything you do. Like if I'm yeah. a, you know, as a Warriors fan, like I ride hard for Steph Curry or Draymond Green. And if you're not a Warriors fan, you probably hate those guys, but it's because it's really easy to hate them because you're going to turn on the TV and just immediately see them no matter where they are. Right. Yeah. But like, you know more about Damian Lillard than like the average baseball fan knows about a star who just happens to also be in the Pacific Northwest. Like, yeah. And and I don't know, 
it is it is what you're saying. It is because they make these highlight plays that are very easy to put in 20 second clips, and people really care about what he does because there's just a culture around what superstars do in basketball in a way that there is not in baseball because it's sort of like a slower drip drip drip. They they amass war game by game throughout this 162 game season, and it's like it's just different than what basketball is, and it's. It's just harder to market like a regular season accomplishment or or game or whatnot. Like a dude, if a dude hits three home runs, that's like the equivalent of someone scoring fifty. But nobody's gonna really care if someone hits three home runs. Like it, that's yeah. just they just played the game that day and they just happen to hit three home runs. It's also like I think basketball has so much more of this like cult of personality. You know, the the game is so much more about the players and. Baseball, I mean, I it, it's it's what we've talked about before is like fans are so much in the pocket of like owners or just the idea of team that I think that gets divorced from like rooting for individual players. You know, it's like this aspect of I ride hard for the A's, I ride hard for the Mets. And if you trade this star, this star leaves, that's cool. There's no ill will, but like I'm a Mets fan, right? Like, it's so much harder to, I think, root for individual players on a daily basis. And and you and I do that. We have players who, like, we love and all turn on to, you know, the TV to watch Corey Kluber pitch a game or something like that, if I'm bored. Um, we watched a lot of Rangers this year, baby. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> um, but it feels like, yeah, it feels like the players drive the narrative much more in the NBA. And maybe that is just how the game is structured. I don't know. All right. Put on your, your Chidi Anagonye ethics hat real quick. Okay. Is it more moral to not have a team that you root for? Is the moral thing to just choose players that you like and root for them and not be an A's fan or not be a Mets fan? Define moral however you want. I don't care. Tip, the official take of tipping pitches is you shouldn't root for teams. Team, <laughs> teams are bad. I mean, our teams are problematic faves. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, they are. I, I think that, I mean, yeah, you could get real philosophical here, right? But like we root for teams because we want this sense of community, this shared sense of identity that isn't necessarily something you get when you root for individual players and this idea of like winning and losing and playing for something like I can root for Manny Machado all I want, but I'm not really going to feel that much like satisfaction if the Padres win the world series or whatever. I'm like, all right. All right. I mean, I'm happy for Manny Machado. Good, good for Manny Machado, I guess. <laughs> um, like, is it moral? No, but like what is <laughs> At the end of the day, like everything that we consume is immoral. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism or in sports. That's the most Um, common phrase uttered on this podcast. Yeah. And like it comes with the territory, you know? Yeah. We're really wrestling with a lot of shit in this conversation. Yeah. I didn't realize it would get this deep. Well, so like this is the three dimensional chess that I think if you talk about fandom and you talk about the sport on the level that we try to do and hopefully succeed at doing that you like have to be anticipating because in the NBA, it happened really fast. It was like LeBron made the decision and it was like the, the follow-up chapter to the Celtics assembling this big three where they won the title in 2008 and LeBron made the decision. Then all of a sudden it was like, all bets are off. Like LeBron made the choice to switch teams. LeBron decided that he wanted to, you know, this, this icon of the game in his prime decided that he wanted to join up with his friends and create a super team. Like it started a trend. So if we had five baseball players who are all free agents say that it was, uh, I don't know who else was a free agent this year. It was Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg. And let's say that Mike Trout had not signed his extension last off season. Let's say <laughs> let's they just say Mike Trout's also a free agent. <laughs> well, no, it's going to make more sense when yeah, I say what I'm about yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know, I know, I know. In that, what if they all hopped on a group DM on Twitter or Instagram or a group text or they fucking snail mailed each other? I don't know. I don't know what these guys do. And they were like, let's all play for the Angels out of nowhere. 
suddenly like it could look very different. And the idea of what stars do and taking back control and from the teams and this idea of loyalty could be flipped on its head really fast. So is that going to happen in baseball? I don't know. Because I don't know if baseball self-selects for the type of person who wouldn't want to do that in a way that basketball does not. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think there's also just like so much more uncertainty with baseball. You know, there are so many more variables. If in basketball you get like two or three other stars to come to a team with you, like you're going to win a title. You're fucking set. Oh my (laughs) God. If you get Kevin Durant to come on your team, like sure. It's not, it's just not fair. And with baseball, it's like, you know, you can recruit Garrett Cole and Shohei Otani and, you know, Anthony Rendon, and that's still going to be a good team. But like, I I don't know. It just, baseball is so much more of a crapshoot that like, I don't I feel like a part of you would just have to really want to play for the Angels. You know, it's, it's less even about like playing with these stars and more about just like, am I going to be in a position that's like right for me? So that makes it better though, right? Because in yeah, theory, that, I, I mean, I think so. That makes the competition more even, and it makes fans feel like they have a stake in the game because they feel like their team might not just get crushed. Like yeah. there, there are twenty-five NBA fan bases every year that are like, "We have no shot." Yeah, and, and that right sucks. now, then that does suck. Well, they're That's like, a- "We have no shot at winning a title," right? Like they they have a shot at getting to the playoffs and making some noise there and whatnot. I think the difference is that the baseball teams that are terrible, they're like, we have no shot at even making the playoffs because the larger sample sizes, the larger sample size filters out the worst teams in a more dramatic way, which is why you see teams lose like 105 games for the last five years. But I think it is better, right? Like the Nats won. The Nats probably wouldn't have won in basketball. No, it would have been the Astros. Just again and again and again again well the nats the way that the nats beat the the astros reminds me of like how the raptors beat the warriors last year but the Rap- the warriors only lost because they got all of their players hurt and the yeah. astros were at full strength so there there's parity in some respects and i think that is good so maybe we don't want all of the stars to go to one team <laughs> So baseball should be basketball in most ways, but, but not not, this not, way. not every way. <laughs> it started the top. Now it's spiraling down. Which best one is lost? Digging under the ground. Alex, you know what I thought about a few days ago? What do you think about a few days ago? We talked an awful lot about rule changes during the year last year and uh those rule changes are going into effect and it didn't even didn't even occur to me yeah dude they're gonna have robot umps in spring training what the fuck wait really yeah oh my god Uh uh-huh we're definitely getting robot umps in 2021 we actually are and it's gonna suck yeah it's not gonna be great but there are two i think kind of radical I mean, one of them's not as radical, but there is one very radical rule change that's going into effect this this baseball season, and that's the three batter minimum or the the end of an inning minimum, which is harder to say and explain. Um, there's 28 man expanded rosters. Uh, we talked about that when right around the time of the 40 man expanded roster in 2019, we talked about how different it was going to look next year. But this three batter minimum thing, man. This is like a pretty dramatic, like a pretty drastic change to the game that we've grown up watching and playing. And not to mention like the game that the players themselves have grown up playing. Like you go your whole life as a reliever, as a one out specialist or a two out specialist, or you want to get two righties out in a row and then they bring in the loogie. Like it's just weird that this is going to go into effect all of a sudden. I feel like we maybe haven't talked about it enough, and maybe that's our fault. But And, and the larger baseball world might have talked about it plenty. I don't know. But do you feel ready for this change? No, and I don't think that we have just fully grappled with the idea that it's going to... It really is going to have a fundamental impact on the game. Like, pitchers not facing three batters is really common 
Sometimes you bring a guy in to, you know, mop up the end of an inning and he gets lit up, right? Like he gives up a single and a home run and you're like, we, we got to get him out of here. Right. Or he walks the bases loaded. Like, what do you, like, what do you do then? You just be like, well, I guess I just got to ride with him. He doesn't have his stuff today, but Rob Manfred says I have to keep him in. <laughs> like that's, that's awful. And the, <laughs> I, the irony of it is that they want to do this to make games shorter in theory, which like it really isn't going to do. But if you have pitchers out there who are doing poorly, then you're going to have to make a pitching change anyway. You're just stretching it out. So instead of your guy coming in, giving up a home run, and you pull him, he's going to give That's up a, really a home good run. Point. He has to face two more batters, and then, and you pull then him. you're going to pull him. <laughs> so what are we doing here? I also think that this is going to... Well, a couple things. I, I don't feel like we've had a long enough runway of testing the effects that this might have on baseball. Yeah. Like, I, I think that there's a chance that this has more dramatic effects than Rob Manfred is ready for, and he comes to regret changing the literal rule book of the game. That feels, you know, I'm not one for sanctimony, but that feels like a thing that you don't really touch unless you have to, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, the idea that they might put a runner on second base in extra innings, you and I were like, that's fucking dumb. That's like playing stickball in the street with your friends. That's a rule that you would come up with because you have to be home by a certain time. Like, not, yeah. not because we're playing a professional game and we want to just get it over with. Yeah. And this three batter minimum thing, what if relief pitchers ERAs like skyrocket? Like what if what if there's guys that are just struggling through getting through three batters and and run scoring goes up in a really dramatic way that we can't predict and like we're stuck in the sixth and seventh innings or the fifth, sixth, and seventh innings with the way that we pull starters now? What if we're stuck in the fifth inning for like 40 minutes on a Tuesday in a fucking Royals Rangers game? As Sam Dyson is like, man, I cannot get out of this inning. Yeah. And you're just like, hmm. Like you said, I know they're going to make a pitching change. They just can't do it for two more batters. And granted, two more batters in the scheme of a baseball game is like not really that many more batters. Like there's a chance that it could just be like a single and then a strikeout. But it's not that I even think that this is necessarily a bad or good idea. I think that it just came really fast. I think you think that it's a terrible idea, right? I mean, I just think it's trying to fix a problem that isn't there. You know, like of all the problems in the game, like pitching changes, I feel like are pretty low down on the list of priority. And obviously not for Rob Manfred, because he's very interested in... I think his personal image and he wants to be the person who like, you know, fixes baseball, so to speak. But so if far, you want to hear about more about that, please read Tom Verducci's profile of Rob Manfred's oh offseason. <laughs> <laughs> but like all, all it has been is like cosmetic changes that really do nothing to improve the game at best. And at worst, like fundamentally alter the fabric like this might do. You know? I think there is a very vocal minority, and who knows, maybe it's a majority or plurality of people who are like, God, I can't stand watching a Joe Girardi game because he just brings in reliever after reliever. I think that is a thing like that, pe that people think. And I don't know that a rule change is necessarily the thing to stop that. I, yeah, it just feels like it's going to create other headaches for fans who are yeah. sitting here being like, I hate ro watching a Rob Manfred baseball game now. I hate the fact that Rob Manfred is making my pitcher stay in. Well, it, and it's also like if you're a team that has questionable relievers, it makes you more likely to be bad. <laughs> yeah. Which is an unfortunate competitive change that Rob Manfred just decided one baseball offseason. Because if yeah. you got to leave your bad reliever who you're hoping to get a couple outs in the sixth inning, like if you got to leave him in longer than you wanted to, like you might just lose. You might just lose that game. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But then, but then, okay. So then this how do you solve for the problem of as we realize the optimization of, of velocity and of 
relievers coming in in specialized situations, one, do you even acknowledge that there's a problem? But how do you solve for the problem that if you use like 12 pitchers in a game? But like that happens like what, maybe a month out of the year when rosters expand and rosters, which we haven't talked about yet, but rosters are smaller now. So you're not going to have these massive bullpens. So like, no, but uh, as you use starters less and less and less, what if you just start using guys for one inning at a time? You have nine pitchers you use them for one inning at a time. Is that is that good? This is this is verging on the time that we yelled at each other for thirty minutes about starting pitching usage versus starting starters usage versus relievers usage. Yeah, I mean, I don't see. I don't think that, like I don't think it's good. I don't want to watch a bunch of dudes get one out and then trot in new people. It just becomes very hard to keep track of for me as a fan. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So make... I'm asking you to be the commissioner of baseball on the spot. Yeah, seriously. I, this is, I see where Rob Manfred's coming from. This shit's hard. Change all the rules. <laughs> Wait, I can see it in your eyes. What you want to do is get rid of the minor leagues. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I... I I don't know. I I don't know what you do. I I really don't. How do you how do you require if you just starting send a pitchers league, to yeah. just like just send a league wide memo like, and be like use more starters? Yeah. Like, do you make bullpens smaller? You know, like do you? Yeah. I mean, what you could do is make make bullpens smaller, and that would then prioritize the idea of a reliever who can pitch long, right? And and that doesn't totally fly in the face of this uh, trend that we've seen that more pitchers can pitch three innings at a time, right? If you if you pr- make bullpen smaller and then prioritize guys who can get a couple innings in relief, then maybe you're solving for this problem a little bit. I think it, yeah, gets, but- it gets back to the idea that like teams are going to do what they think is competitively the best no matter what. And this is a thing that is now starting to affect all sports. Yeah, and I also think that like the thing about the long reliever is that there aren't as many good ones as we like to think there are right like yeah. if this there guy, were so and so is the next would, andrew miller yeah exactly remember when robert gesellman was the next andrew miller wow. hey man hey man <laughs> no no but like i i stand when we had that conversation that yelling conversation about the future of pitching and baseball i said look robert gesellman that's like the perfect candidate but like <laughs> most of the time that doesn't work out Right? Like you have to be really good. That's the factor that we're missing. And there just aren't that many good pitchers in baseball. Right? Like there aren't, I mean, there are a lot of good pitchers in baseball, but there aren't enough for it to be like, you know, every bullpen is optimized in that way. You have a lot of relievers are just like fringe guys who are supposed to come in and get three outs or do mop mop up duty in a losing game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My whole point is like, I don't feel like we were properly primed for this. And in that case, then we just have to trust that MLB is doing the best thing. And as we've said a million times before, I don't know if they always are. Like, it seems like he's acting a little rashly, which is a weird thing for me to say about Rob Manfred, who I usually want to act more rashly, I guess. (laughs) Usually want him to do more. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, this just feels like this is the kind of thing that happens when you're just surrounded by yes men, right? And you're like, what if we just do a three batter minimum? And everyone's like, of course, sir. Whatever you say, sir. It's like, sure. I mean, and the owners are probably for this too, right? Like they, Manfred works for them. So he is in, he is in talks with them to do whatever they want, right? So like, clearly there is a, segment of a large segment of the baseball management structure that's like for this i just i just don't really get why that's all that's a frequent feeling (laughs) (laughs) okay before we get out of here uh one last thing so uh longtime listeners of the show will will know that as a season preview uh alex and i like to do what we call the all gift draft where we select a team of players who we think are going to create the greatest gifts of such and such baseball season. Um, We've done that the last two years. We're not going to do that on this episode. (laughs) Would have been a weird thing to bury that 45 minutes into the show. 
but uh, we are going to do that in a few weeks before uh, before opening day. Um, but we wanted to look back in in retrospect a little bit on the last couple of years of drafting players, and in light of the the Hall of Fame inductions of uh, Derek Jeter and Larry Walker, we wanted to create our GIF Hall of Fame. There's a lot of <laughs> A lot of the hard things to say. A lot of abbreviations <laughs> in my notes here. We wanted to create our GIF Hall of Fame, our all-GIF Hall of Fame. Um, because you and I, we don't really care about the real Hall of Fame. No. It's not really that interesting. I, I think it's it's valid that people do care about it because we are such a history-obsessed sport and culture. But I, <laughs> at the risk of like sounding you know, tinfoil hattie. It's like a very mainstream <laughs> way of thinking about the game. Yeah, well, I just think it flattens a lot of these conversations, right? Like, instead of celebrating Larry Walker's, like, career achievements, it's like you have two camps, and you're either like, yes, he's good enough to arbitrarily get into this Hall of Fame that has, like, no real line, or he's not. No, he wasn't good enough. And... I don't know. That's just a really shitty lens to look at some of the best players in baseball history. You know, it's also like, just interesting who we're empowering to make that choice. Yes, like it's yeah. probably not always the right people. It's very uh, much. Uh, sim- oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's very much similar to the conversation around the Oscars, right? Yeah, but yeah. at least, yeah. I don't know. We don't need to dive dive deep on an Oscars tangent. <laughs> no, we can no. if you want. I, you have takes. I, what do you? I, no, I don't. Have, have you seen takes. Parasite yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So good. Do you think should it should win, win Best, Best Picture? Picture? Do you? Yeah, of course. Okay, okay. I'm just yeah. making sure that you have the right opinion. <laughs> I think it should be Joker. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I saw Joker a couple weekends ago. That movie fucking sucks, dude. That's it's not a not, good movie. It's, it's not good. I'm, no. I, I want the listeners to know that I saw it because I'm trying to see every Best Picture nominated movie so that I can have a real opinion. I didn't see yeah, it because I'm same. like a... You know, Dylan Roof sympathizer. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Kurt Schilling is the Joker of the Hall of Fame. That's my real take. That's a great take. You should tweet that. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, before we um, before we do our inaugural all-gif uh, class, I would, uh, I would like to give a shout out to the lone soul, the brave soul, who, who kept Derek Jeter from being a unanimous selection to the Hall of Fame. Just what an incredible flex. There's no argument that he shouldn't belong in the Hall of Fame. You just wanted to you just wanted to be petty. And frankly, I we stand. <laughs> that writer is my joker. <laughs> <laughs> that writer's whole life, he thought nobody saw him. And now tipping pitches sees him. <laughs> and we're starting to notice. <laughs> yeah. If you if you uh if you didn't vote for Derek Jeter to be in the Hall of Fame, please Literally come on. Open invite. I, 100%. Whenever you want. You can be anonymous if you want. I just, I want to talk to you. Please. Listen, I have spent the last year and a half learning how to edit audio so that for this specific instance, I can pitch down your voice so you can anonymously <laughs> appear on the Tipping Pitches podcast to talk about why you think that Derek Jeter, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, should not have been in the Hall of Fame. Hell yes. This is what we've been leading up to. This is the reason we created this podcast. Okay, quickly. The uh, three players that we are inaugurating into the Tipping Pitches All GIF Hall of Fame. Way too many words. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, Adrian Beltre. Alex, Adrian Beltre was on your very first All GIF team. And here's what you wrote about him. Very prescient by you. The veteran Beltre is a shoe-in for the GIF Hall of Fame at this point in his career. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> his loudest tool is obviously the head-touching reaction, something that teammates El- Elvis Andrews brings out the best in him. But he's got an overall great feel for goofiness. He's shown no sign of slowing down his GIF production despite his age, and his smile alone could carry him in a draft. I like how I'm congratulating you for uh, predicting something that we ended up choosing. <laughs> yes. We're really chasing our tail here. Yeah, honestly. Shout out Adrian Beltre. Shout out. I miss him so much. Like, such an incredible amount. Like, just when we were talking about doing this segment, I was just looking at gifts of him. And I'm just like, I miss his presence in the game, you know? I think what I'm, what, like, what we miss about him 
is that like so frequently the the goofy players, like the the funny, interesting, one of a kind guys, are like these young players who are like they have all this joy that the toxic world of baseball has not beaten out of them yet. Yeah. And Adrian Beltre kind of went cut the other direction where like he's this dude who's been in the game for 25 years or whatever and he's just a weirdo. And uh, Joey Votto is the one carrying that torch. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Second, Bartolo Colon. I believe this guy was also on your team. <laughs> this is bullshit. Rigged. Uh, here's what you wrote about Bartolo. Bartolo Colon has been a top gift player his whole career, but he won't start the year on a major league roster, making him a high-risk, high-reward pick. Bold by you. <laughs> <laughs> when he's on the field, he's the complete gift package, an 80-grade smile, and MVP caliber antics, with must-see at-bats and even the occasional web gem. Web gem. Must-see at-bats. Hmm. Weird that you like the DH. He's had an illustrious, illustrious gift career, and if he makes it back to the field this year, he's sure to pat his stats once once more. So what do what you... I mean, it's, it might be obvious, but why Bartolo? Why not Bartolo? I mean, I, I feel like in part just because he is like such the... I feel like the reason we root for players like Bartolo or Williams Astadio is because they are like the opposite like of what the, the ideal like baseball player archetype is like, you know? And, and they absolutely... Like you were saying about Adrian Beltre, just like go the complete opposite direction from this like, you know, buttoned up shirt. Like, I don't know. Baseball feels like a lot of baseball players feel very white collar, but these are the guys who just like, they don't give a shit. You know, they show up to work wearing a t-shirt and shorts. Fuck what you heard. What are you going to do about it? It's Bartolo Colon. Uh, Bartolo dovetails nicely with the conversation we had about would we care if guys end up playing for 15 teams? <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. Because he, he just carried his unique sense of joy to every new fan base. And that way, half of the fan base in baseball got to experience firsthand what it was like to have Bartolo on their team. And I feel very blessed. And so do you. I know you do. Yeah. But it's like, he he very much transcended that idea of like localized fandom, right? If you're a baseball fan, you know who Bartolo Colon is. And you... You probably stand. My man's a sensation. Yeah. Okay, final final induction into the the 2020 tipping pitches. I'm adding more qualifiers each time. <laughs> the 2020 tipping pitches. All GIF Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Inaugural class. Inaug- <laughs> people who people who haven't heard the all GIF draft are going to have no idea what this segment is. If you're a They're new listener, like, what I'm the fuck so are you sorry. talking about? We'll link. We'll link. <laughs> what below. do these players have in common? Yeah. Um, it's Jose Fernandez. Yeah. So neither of us ever had the chance to take Jose Fernandez on our all gift teams because he uh, passed away before we started this exercise. Um, the idea of the exercise is we want to get a team full of players who are going to create moments that we could watch as a GIF on loop, sitting on our screen for as long as possible and just continue to smile and just continue to be like, I love baseball. Um, And there's literally, there's not one player, you know, you and I discussed this when we did our 10 players of the decade. There's not one player that really brought as much wonderment and joy to the game as Jose Fernandez. And, you know, one of my favorite things to draft for in this exercise is just ridiculous pitches that make the batter flail and, you know, react pitcher reaction shots. Jose Fernandez was the king of that, man. Yeah. I mean, we, I feel like we have talked about him, you know, we talked about him about on, on our influential players list um, at the end of last year. And there was just such a, uniqueness about him you know like i just i have so many like highlights of him just like seared into my brain that i will never forget and i don't know i feel like he he left a really large hole and i don't think i don't think we have even fully grappled with like how profound an impact that had right and especially to like the 
the city of Miami, right? The loss of him. Um, but he was also the platonic ideal of what we look for in a baseball superstar. Genuinely, like whether you were a fan of the Marlins or not, like you had to love what Fernandez did, unless you were Brian McCann, I guess. <laughs> okay, that's our inaugural. <laughs> how did how did we say it? Our uh, 2020 tipping pitches all gift draft Hall of Fame inaugural ceremony. Did I miss it? Yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I think I think I think you got it. Great. So if you are a new listener who is really very confused as to what all this GIF discussion is, we will link you in the description, I promise. And we will reply to the tweet with what the GIF drafts are. Um, but we encourage you to go back and check them out. They're a lot of fun. It's one of the most fun exercises that we do every year, and we will be doing it in a few weeks to preview the 2020 season. That being said, thank you for listening. Alex, do you have anything left to leave with the people? Or did you get it all out? <laughs> I think I got it all out, man. We got we got really philosophical today. But if you have thoughts on the morality of rooting for teams versus rooting for players, yeah. Uh, if you think we missed anyone in our tipping pitches, uh, all gif Hall of Fame uh, inaugural class ceremony, just you know, let us know. Uh, shout us out on Twitter. Uh, maybe uh, maybe send us a listener a listener email. And no bullshit. If you're the dude who didn't vote for Derek Jeter, that was an actual invitation. Please come on the show. Yeah, seriously. We'll, we'll keep you anonymous. I'm not even kidding. If you're, if you're listening right now, and I'm sure you are, just, yeah, let's make it happen. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please subscribe wherever you get podcasts, and we will be back next week. Oh, oh, oh.